0: Now on to the podcast. This time of year we try to give coaches information they can implement with their team going into their seasons. Next up on the ABC Podcast is sport dietitian Wendy Ehrlbreck. Wendy's a registered dietitian nutritionist. She earned her MS in Food and Nutritional Sciences at the University of Wisconsin Stout. She's accredited all over the health and wellness landscape and is also NSCA certified. Her website is nutritionwithwendy.com. You can also find her on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Wendy was a college athlete and also spent time in the bodybuilding space. Wendy and our kindred spirits when it comes to nutrition and supplementation. There are a lot of myths out there, so we do a deep dive into what the actual research is saying on nutrition and supplementation. She gives us a lot of actionable tips that should help you and your athletes. Let's welcome Wendy Earl back to the podcast. here with Wendy Erlbeck, a sports dietitian, um, MSRDN, LDN, CISSN. Wendy, thanks for jumping on with me.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Ryan.
0: Hey, um, and happy peanut butter day. I, I just saw that happy national <laughs>
1: peanut butter day.
0: It's in my list of things to do. I usually pack a, a lunch, so even... Forty-seven. I still do some things that I did that that helped me when I was playing. So I still do pack a lunch, and a lot of it is a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich half the time too.
1: So forty-seven. You, I thought you were in your thirties. <laughs> taking good care of your health has its benefits,
0: right? I, it's honestly, it's a lot of it's genetics. My mother um, is seventy-three. She looks like she's sixty. So it, it is. I do always, as a disclaimer, um, was given some gifts genetically, but have also worked at that too. So, um, you know, take take our listeners through your path for anybody that doesn't know you.
1: is a great question. Um, I love health and wellness. Obviously, I love performance nutrition. Um, but fundamentally, I just at a very young age, God provisioned me with this desire to learn about nutrition. And I feel as though that is my gift and calling. Um, so at a very young age, I understood that there were certain foods that I could consume that helped me Run faster, um, feel more energy, so I could run laps around the house. I played sports growing up, which you know most dietitians that work in sports nutrition, they've all played college sports, so I won't bore you with that. But the the real um, trigger for me, Ryan, was when I was in high school. I was taking a test, and I was like, "Goodness, why do I feel so tired?" And I just don't feel well. And I learned that I didn't eat enough, so I started doing some research, doing the the Google searching, if you will and found that there were certain healthy fats, there were just certain foods that really did help you think and function better. Same thing with water, right? Waking up and drinking water. So for me, it was that academic connection, also the mental health. There were people in my life at a young age as well, you know, that didn't eat the best. And I started to understand that maybe that has something to do with the composition of those foods. So I went on to uh, UW Stout, to study dietetics, as well as health, wellness, and fitness, did some strength and conditioning stuff, worked as a personal trainer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, went back for my master's to actually become a performance dietitian. Um, I feel like it's really hard to talk about ourselves, so I'm always so focused on other people. It's a long elevator pitch, but I worked at the University of Florida. I worked with our athletes at UW-Stout. I gained experience in corporate wellness. All of these experiences led me to becoming a dietitian that I am today. And before I started my own private practice in 2019, I did work with the Dairy Council in Michigan. So I had the great opportunity to do a lot of the performance nutrition education with chocolate milk as a recovery beverage, really educating a lot of adolescent athletes as well as coaches on the benefits of proper fueling, on snacking. So I feel as though that was such a very valuable experience that really helped me you know, build a platform that I'm at today, in which getting online and kind of, you know, not arguing, but having really great dialogue with some of these people that are in the keto uh, realm, they're in low carb, because, right, it's so funny, we laugh about it. But those conversations are so valuable, because we have the opportunity to learn from one another and apply that, hey, maybe some of these concepts that they're doing can work for certain athletes, or maybe they're not the best fit, but maybe it can benefit their parents. So I just really love health, wellness, and fitness. So long story short, you can edit some of that out. But
0: no, I I know, you know, we all have common bonds and I I love when people tell their story and it is hard for those of us to talk about ourselves. And that's why (laughs) I I, I do like going on other people's shows because it does allow me to talk a little bit more about myself, which I don't want to do here. I want the guests to be able to talk about themselves. But, you know, you talk about diet culture. Why is that so ingrained you know, I have a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old, and it just seems like diet culture, fad diets are, are ingrained in the American culture. Eating more is, is a big deal. You know, meal frequencies is a big deal. It, it helps, and not just for athletes, but for normal, regular human beings. Why why is it so ingrained the other way? You just see fad. There, there's just a new fad. It just seems like there's a new fad diet out there every five minutes, Why can't we just get to the point where it's like, okay, if you eat more, more often, you're going to be fine instead of starving yourself? And just talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. That's a loaded question. Yeah, it
0: is. It is.
1: I believe that context is key, and I think that attributing the diet culture back to when we were kids, honestly, there is research to support that how our parents talk about food, uh, had an influence on how we as kids, right, go into adulthood. So there are, there are general population clients that I've worked with that have been dieting since they were five years old, because back in the day, there were, there were just this stigma about your size reflects your self-worth. And that's not true. And that's a really big challenge with a lot of female and male athletes is that a lot of people will attribute how I look, into my worth and being a certain size. So diet culture is always going to be around. But It's really important for us as practitioners to help people filter that information, just like the nutrition information, the training information that they accept um, and how they digest that. So making sure that, you know, our clients and our athletes understand there's context is key here. So just because there's a certain diet out there, that does not mean that that's something for you to follow. You know, what are your goals? What's your current training program? You know, are you focused more so on longevity or are you trying to lose body fat? So certain diets out there, like the Mediterranean diet has been voted one of the best diets for the last five to 10 years. People are always trying to get the next sexy, hot, best thing. So I think that's where the diet culture comes in. But I also think that there's a um, a gap in people's understanding of what proper nutrition is. So that's how they fall victim to some of these diet charlatans and doctors, dietitians, physicians, people out there with a the platform. Sometimes they will sell out too, and they'll promote something, not because it's the best interest of the, the person, but because they can profit off of it. So I think there's a lot of different caveats that go into influencing pers- a person to follow a certain diet. But I would say fundamentally, I think we can all agree, science aside, that people need to walk, they need to drink water, they need to get quality sleep, they need to focus on sustainable changes, instead of trying to change too many things at once, that becomes overwhelming, and they're like, oh, who cares, and then they do nothing. And and that becomes a really, really detrimental uh, mindset to have.
0: Yeah, and, and you you threw out a good question yesterday about New Year's resolutions because this is the time where somebody started on the first, and it's probably done by now, but you, you hit the nail on the head there. They try to do too much stuff, and, the, and then they stop. What, what are some tools out there that you're seeing that are helping people kind of maintain those healthy habits?
1: Absolutely. So I coach my clients on, it's all about our systems, right? Atomic Habits, James Clear, if you read it. Fantastic book. I have my clients read it. It's a part of their program because it teaches you that we don't default to our goals. We default to our systems, right? There's always going to be something that comes up that gets in the way. But if we go to our systems of, okay, it's a stressful weekend. It's really busy. I'm not going to have time to cook. My system is, I'm going to prepare meals in bulk on that Wednesday that I have time so that I can be successful in eating well on the weekend. That's a positive system that can work for everybody. And if you have, again, a calendar, you plan ahead and you're successful with it, you won't have to worry about creating these New Year's resolutions, new goals, I'll start Monday, because you have a system in place that supports the future you're trying to create. So tools, you know, tracking, Journaling, being mindful, identifying what you want your future to look like, whether you're an athlete, you're a coach, you're a parent, you're trying to be more responsible with your finances. You have to track. You have to have some sort of concept of your foundation and where you're starting for that baseline data, because what you measure, you're able to manage. So, tracking is number one. Also, ask yourself does this habit you know, support the future and am trying to create? What do I get out of doing this habit? And most people, you know, if they're trying to be over overly restrictive, they don't get a lot out of it. In fact, it's painful. So if we don't enjoy something that we're trying to do, it's very unlikely that we're going to do it very long. So picking out something you enjoy, like exercise, you know, swimming, a lot of people really love swimming. So if you put down that you're going to do some swimming, you know, two to three times per week for eight weeks, you know, for 30 minutes at a time, that's a smart goal, but what's your system behind it of, you know, what do I want to accomplish? So Tracking, starting small, identifying things you actually want to do. I think those are really fundamental, very undervalued tools that people often don't utilize. They immediately go to the internet and they say, "Okay, I've got to go keto. I've got to throw away everything," and everyone suffers in the process, and then they end up right back at square one.
0: And you talk about kcal too. Um, I mean, there's there's just a lot of things, um, you know. And journaling was one thing that helped me. And you know, we can get into some supplement. Piece too, because I was I was a little bit of a supplement monkey when I was in college, trying to find ways to gain weight, and so I did take MCT oil probably way before anybody knew what MCT oil was. Creatine for sure, um, you know, and, and you and I are advocates of creatine, and um and and obviously healthy options with that, but go going to creatine a little bit because I think that's something that gets some heat, but it's probably the most researched supplement that we have.
1: Oh, yeah, uh, Ryan, it's one of the most widely studied ergogenic aids available. And it's so low cost. And just like the media with diets, there's so much misinformation. And that's part of it is that people are just going to the internet. And unfortunately, there's still articles published by even dietitians that are saying that creatine is a steroid, it'll make you bulky, it'll dehydrate you, which it are complete fallacies. And they've been disproven in the literature. If you go to one of the most recent publications from the ISSN, they have put together collective papers, um, Dr. You know Joey Antonio, Dr. Andrew Jagum, they've even summarized creatine use in adolescent athletes. So creatine monohydrate 101. I have a blog on this too. What is it? It's arginine, glycine, and methionine, right? It's actually naturally produced yeah. Um, in meat so if you're consuming meat chicken fish you're getting creatine but the 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 real reason why people supplement with creatine is that we're unable to sufficiently increase our intramuscular creatine stores right for your listeners that no matter how much beef chicken fish you consume you still can't saturate your your creatine stores, which you want to have an increase right in creatine because it helps you recycle ATP which we know is the cells, um, energy currency, essentially. So the more ATP you have, the better muscle contraction, the better focus, right? More energy, more power output. There, it's just endless benefits to utilizing creatine, right? So it's three amino acids. It's not a steroid. And in fact, it actually draws water into the cell so it can help with hydration strat- status. Instead, people think that it causes dehydration. That's not true. Not drinking enough water causes dehydration, right? Not hydrating, you know, waking up and drinking water. Um, That's one of the biggest things too, is that context is key and that kids will start using creatine, you know, and their parents are concerned about it, but they'll try it and they're getting muscle cramps and the parent thinks, oh my goodness, it's the creatine when no, in reality, your child has not drink, Consume sufficient fluids. They also didn't eat enough food or they ate too many meals too close to training. So we really have to look at that big picture. And first off, it's safe. It's effective. It can help. It's low cost. Everyone with a beating pulse should be using creatine.
0: With the dosage, because back in the 90s, they were recommending like 20 milligrams to start kind of on ramp. But now looking at it, is it just a steady five milligrams every day where you don't have to worry about overloading on the front end?
1: Yes. I would say it depends. It depends on who you're working with. Most, for example, high school athletes, they don't need to do any creatine loading. If you wanted to do 10 grams, you know, for two weeks, you could, but it'd be better to do three to five grams post-training with the carbohydrate source, right? It's insulin mediated. Um, and that's sufficient and it works. So instead of getting, you know, down the rabbit hole for most folks, they would just benefit from doing that three to five grams.
0: You talk about getting more water. Are you having them maybe set a glass of water by their bed so when they wake up, it's the first thing they see? I mean, I always think about that. It's next to me. Like my my Yeti cup is next to me the entire time. Is that one of the, the, the tips that you're telling people is to have it ready so when you get up, it's the first thing you see?
1: So you must have seen my feet about a year ago. I, I said, no, I just, wake up and drink water. I, yeah, I
0: mean, it is. It's it's right next to me. So I don't forget. Because if I don't, I'm I'm not going to drink enough water. It has to be with me.
1: Absolutely. Coaches included, teens, adults. Everybody should have a 8 to 10 ounce bottle of water by your bed. So you drink that upon waking. And making sure that you're drinking, you know, 8 to 10 ounces every couple of hours. So that we can get in a minimum of 90 to 120 ounces per day. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yep. And you talked about journaling or tracking, um, meal prep. You know, how are you getting high school athletes to meal prep?
1: Kids are great. I love working with high school athletes. Let's go back to the water thing real quick. So most of my athletes, they have a hydroflask. So yep. instead of them trying to keep track of ounces, what we do is this one's 20 ounces. Others are 32 ounces. We say by 10 a.m., you need to have one 32 ounce, you know, down depending upon, again, their body weight. But this is the easiest way for them to remember, okay. 20 ounces by you know, 10 a.m., which is equivalent to their one hydro flask, and then another 20 ounces by 2 p.m., and then another 20 ounces by 5 p.m. So then at the end of the day, that, that's the easiest way to do it. They set alarms in their cell phone or they put it on their calendar. A lot of kids right now are doing classes from home at school or excuse me, doing their schoolwork at home. So they have a calendar on the fridge and they see those check marks and they'll go do a, a cross-off just like right our habit tracking when we cross things off where you know, positive reinforcing that habit. Um, and then same thing with the meal prep. Um, having my kids, honestly, high school athletes, adults, I'm an, an adult, right? We're stubborn. We don't want to change. Kids are malleable, right? They're receptive to change. So most of them are like, oh, so if I do this, I'm going to be a better athlete. And I'm going to be faster, bigger, stronger. And most of my athletes right now are trying to gain weight. So for them, they're literally like, tell me exactly what I need to do. So they've been tracking in my fitness pal, and then they provide me access to that. So then I can go in and see what they've been eating for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We can do you know an audit of their meals and say, Hey, if you're trying to gain You know, 10 pounds, we need to have an increase of about 400 to 600 calories per day. And waking is a very daunting goal, right? So we need to be very um, selective about the foods we're eating around our training, because it has to be sustainable. So doing smoothies, you know, doing a chunky monkey smoothie that I have is about 900 calories, cutting that in half, and having that as a supplement in the morning, and then in the afternoon, in addition to their other high calorie meals, we can see that consecutively that week average of, hey, we're getting in that 5,200 calories, which we can now see an increase on the scale. So just doing that journaling and then having them turn those into me, kids are very compliant. I, again, they approach me. So that's assuming they're willing, they're able. And even in my assessment tools, Ryan, that I have them fill out the comprehensive screening form upon us working together. I have questions in there. What is your willingness to change? I refuse to work with anyone that is unwilling to change. They have the ability Right. But I can't help you just like you. If you're trying to you know, have a change in your life without change, we can't have that change that we desire. Right. What about kids are awesome.
0: What about before bed? Uh, you know, because I, I you know, I see different things. I see, well, you shouldn't eat right before bed, you know, but somebody that's trying to, to put muscle mass on or gain weight, is it OK to eat before bed?
1: Yes, it is okay to eat before bed. Of course, we have some guidance of that, you know, 45 to 60 minutes before bed, we want to have, you know, some protein, and a little bit of carbohydrate, we don't want to exceed, you know, three to 400 calories, um, because it can, you know, draw the blood flow to the stomach instead of our extremities, which can disrupt our sleep. But I have athletes right now that are, um, and some of my endurance athletes are waking up. We have a, an eating schedule at three in the morning that they get up and they consume a little bit of oats and honey. Um, the keto people that if they listen to this, they would die, Um, but they need those carbohydrates and those are quick, rapid absorption. So if you have an athlete that's training two to three times per day, some are right now, and they have a a. 6am practice, um, having that by their bedside, or even just a boost shake that they can sip on that they're able to go back to sleep and then be able to get up and go into their training session with full glycogen stores that works for them. Um, So I'm not against eating close to bed. In fact, it can be a great tool to help you be successful because it is really challenging to get in five to 6,000 calories in a day with the hours that they're awake.
0: You know, I think blood testing is getting a little bit of a play right now to figure, and you talked about you ate foods that made you feel better. You know, is there a way out there to maybe check and see if, if these are foods I should be eating or shouldn't be eating because I know it's, it's going to be dictated on each person's genetics and, and their bloodstream. You know, are, are you recommending that for anybody?
1: Yeah, to be honest, Ryan, as a dietitian, I would argue most people would benefit from just doing a journal and identifying certain foods that whether it caused gas, bloating, di- you know, digestive issues versus doing a blood test. The only way to truly assess if a food is causing inflammation in the body is a C-reactive protein test. Okay, or you go do a food allergy test. There's so many people out there that are like, I need to avoid this or limit this. And they haven't actually done that blood testing. right? So without that data, how can we definitively say that this food is causing an interaction? So I think for a lot of people, they're like, I need to eat according to my blood type. And I take a step back and I honor that. But no, you really actually just need to focus on getting seven to nine hours of sleep, drinking 90 ounces of water, eating fruits and vegetables, consuming more protein and stop going through the drive through. Yeah. And I'm not being mean. I'm just being honest. Most yeah. people, right, they're, they're just like trying to do all these crazy things when they're not even doing the fundamentals. And if we could just get back to the basics, people could really connect the dots that, hey, it's actually the fact that I'm eating this fried chicken i'm over consuming carbohydrates i'm not getting enough protein i'm not eating enough fruits and vegetables yeah. so it's it's probable that i'm feeling this gas bloating fatigue because i'm not taking care of my body right
0: i mean how how have we gotten to that point where it's like either all carbs or all protein and and instead of just moderate everything and and the human body wants balance wants moderation why have we gotten to that point where it's just the extreme of everything, rather than just say this has worked for forever with staying in moderation? I don't. How have we gotten away from that?
1: That's a million dollar question, Ryan. And I think we could probably attribute it to um, just the the platforms of celebrities, even some of the professional athletes. You know, Tom Brady. Obviously, he's amazing and great, but he's endorsed doing a vegan diet. You know, cutting up nightshades when. I mean, a lot of kids aren't even eating, you know, two servings of vegetables per day. So you start, you know, doing some of these diets. Um, he's where- also in his
0: oh. 40s, too, though. Like, that that's what people need to realize. Like, he's not, a, not a hes not monster. a high school kid. He's, he's a man. He's an adult. So he's had a lot of trial mm-hmm. and error to get to that point to where he is right now instead of, hey, with a disclaimer, like, yeah, this works for him. But doesn't need to be applied to an 18 or or 19 year old male or female. Like it just like, that's where common sense needs to come into play with all that.
1: Amen. Context, right? Context is key. That's, that's a a good thing to elaborate on because there are some athletes out there that, you know, they just been, they just felt better from following a, a vegetarian diet. But if you're a high school athlete, you don't even know what protein sources are. So you are at high risk for nutrient deficiencies, especially iron. Um, especially a lot of females. So, I mean, we could go down that rabbit hole, but I think a lot of it has to do with the celebrities, the athletes, those that have a big following, um, and they're endorsing something without actually knowing, and then people apply it to their own lives, but then it it ends up not working for them. Right. Or they're not consistent long enough to really assess that, Hey, I had results with this. So I think context is so important right now for anything in life We're missing the context.
0: What are some other things that you thought maybe were good in theory that that aren't uh, in practice that aren't good?
1: Oh, well, we can. So going back to uh, my history, I used to be a bodybuilder. I did bikini competitions, actually. So I learned a lot of these mistakes, this diet zealotry, if you will. I did the incredibly low carb, the eat nothing but fish and asparagus. And that's allowed me the empathy for some of my clients that are trying to diet. Like, hey, I've been there. I've done it this horrific way uh, years ago and I had no muscle I was tired all the time I was cranky so I made those mistakes and that's why I'm so passionate that I I was there but I also can now provide that science and framework for you to be successful so I, I think just kind of um, elaborating on that it, there's just a lot of people out there right now they're like this works for me so you need to do it so as a dietitian, I practice an all-inclusive approach. So I just want to meet the person where they're at when they fill out that assessment. We can say, hey, this is the budget you have. This is your schedule. These are the resources. This is how you can be successful. Here's a plan and that framework. And I just think that there's a lot of really helpful information out there, but there's also a lot of really unhelpful information that needs to be filtered. And unfollowing people on social media would be a tool I would recommend.
0: I say, consider the source all the time. You know, we're predisposed okay. to believing everything that we read or that we see, and so how how can I consider the source and be like, okay, that's a valid source or that's a charlatan? How how can I differentiate between like what's good information out there and what's misinformation?
1: Great question, Ryan. So I always feel like throwing the challenge flag on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Miss, how do you how do you spot misinformation? Are they selling something? you know, what skin in the game do they have? Like a lot of these, you know, there's dietitians out there too, that do it as well. But I always say doctors, some of these doctors are pushing keto because they have published all these books, right? Buy my book, buy my keto plan. What are they selling? You know, does the, are there claims, right? If we go in the science, are there, you know, supportive evidence available to say that this is the best way to eat or this supplement? Is there sufficient evidence to support that this is a good supplement to use? Is it safe? right? Um, looking at some of the reported adverse effects, which creating, we can say there's literally zero reported adverse effects. So that's how you can spot some of the misinformation off the bat is, are they, you know, inclusive? Do they have balanced um, views as well? I mean, I think that a lot of people are really, um, how do I say this? They're trustworthy when they're willing to have an open discussion about different ways of eating or supplements, uh, as well as, you know, the I just can't say enough about people who are selling their products and they try to sell it to everybody that it's not even applicable to that population. That's also another way to spot, you know, red flags and quackery, just like the pills too, that make these overnight results promises those, or even in four weeks, you know, lose 20 pounds in 30 days. That is a red flag immediately to be tossed out. (laughs)
0: Oh, goodness gracious. Um, You know, we're getting ready to start in season here for a lot of spring teams. Um, You know, recommendations here for, you know, game day approach. Should it be the same seven days a week? Do we need to change on game days? Are there some things to help us perform better on game days? Or is it more about being consistent with what we're doing every day?
1: Yeah, you're 100%, Ryan excuse me, 100%, right, Ryan, it is about being consistent in the days uh, leading up to game day, you never want to try new foods on game day, you want to practice how you play. So I would recommend experimenting with certain foods outside of game day to identify what works well for you. And I would recommend, you know, anyone out there right now, as we're getting into, you know, baseball season, specifically, I have this four to one rule, right, where four hours out, you have your main meal two hours out, it's a, you know, a nibble, and then one hour out, it's a sip. So practicing that on a practice day so that you have sufficient time to identify these are the foods that work well for me in this quantity at this time. And I know that that's a good food. It doesn't cause any GI distress or upset. It made me feel good. I slept well. I recovered well. I had high energy. You know, you never want to try anything new on game day. I cannot say that enough because there's a lot of coaches and parents out there that are like, hey, we have a tournament this weekend. What should I eat? And I'm like, no, 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 no. What you've been eating. Right. Clearly, it's not working for you. So we probably need to have a bigger conversation about that. But um, that's too late. Right. Because we're drawing on that fuel that we have had in the, the days leading up to that. So I would say three to four hours, excuse me, three to four days out. From a game, you really want to be dialing in your sleep, your nutrition, your water, making sure that you're getting in balanced meals that contain, you know, protein, carbohydrate, healthy fat, plenty of, you know, dairy Uh, and dairy obviously is important. You know, teen girls and teen boys need to have two to three servings per day to meet their calcium and vitamin D needs. So we can really go down a rabbit hole, but game day eats, I would recommend a turkey cheese sandwich with fruit, low fat milk, pretzels. You want to think again, protein and carbohydrate. You want to have things that are simple and digestible. You don't want to be having a, a, a high fat meal, right? A lot of kids are trying to do steak before a game. It's not a good idea because fat takes longer to digest. So you're going to have all the blood flow going to your stomach instead of your extremity. So not ideal. You want to stick with the lean meats and again, quick digesting carbohydrates, um, protein shakes are also great core powers also something that a lot of kids like to take with them a lot of my baseball hockey players love that
0: steak's good post though right I mean depends,
1: depends. flank steak is lean yeah I mean I'm talking a ribeye so we're looking at like a ribeye <laughs> and I you love know a ribeye. because ribeye is fantastic but nutrient timing 101 yes. after a game you want to have a quick rapid absorption of the protein and carbon to your muscle. Right. So you don't want to have a high fat meal because it's going to take longer for that to digest. So have the ribeye a couple hours after the game, but immediately after the game, you want to have chocolate milk, banana. You want to think that three to one, you know, carbohydrate to protein ratio with your creatine, of course.
0: Why has dairy gotten a a bad rap also? I mean, it's the same thing. Like you see it, like people are like, no dairy, no dairy, no dairy. And then you look, you're like, okay, calcium, vitamin D. Like, there's just uh, a lot of health injuries. benefits yeah. to it. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, why has dairy gotten a bad rap?
1: And again, misinformation. Context is key. So, for some folks, if they don't have the, you know, lactase, that enzyme to digest the lactose, then yeah, it can be problematic for them. But there's tons of lactose free milks available. You know, Fair Life. Fair Life. I, I drink Fair I Life Fair every Life.
0: day. Fair Life chocolate milk. It's lactose free. I drink it.
1: It's amazing too. Yeah. Right. High protein, lower sugar. but I believe again, it's the the context is key. There's a lot of misinformation out there. People were saying that, you know, dairy causes uh, phlegm accumulation, it causes allergies and tolerances. And I blame a lot of the, you know, people that are are they're they're charlatans. They're against, you know, animal proteins. A lot of the, I'm sorry, the vegetarians and vegans, they aren't looking at it from a science perspective. They're they're adding their own ethics into it, which that that's not the appropriate thing to do as a practitioner, right? It's the best interest of the person. So there is a lot of misinformation on dairy, and that it causes weight gain. But the science has been very consistent that it actually decreases cardiovascular disease. It helps manage type 2 diabetes. It helps increase lean mass. And dairy is very rich in leucine, which we know is one of the number one drivers for muscle protein synthesis. And I just, for me, it's like, it's a no brainer. Why wouldn't I do Greek yogurt, string cheese, cut of cheese? I mean, whey, casein, like from a scientific standpoint, again, no brainer, but if we do the ethical considerations some people may want to limit dairy because of that and that's a whole other conversation but uh, the misinformation out there is it, it's just incredible how much has really grown over the years but really just again looking at the source of that information who's funding that study you know who's promoting it what are their beliefs um, so hopefully we can you know just set the record straight that Dairy does not cause weight gain. Dairy can actually help you lose weight. It can help you increase your lean mass. It can help with recovery. It can decrease, you know, your risk of cardiovascular disease. And there's a plethora of studies to support that. Just like there's over 20 plus research studies to support why chocolate milk is the optimal recovery beverage following training.
0: Yeah, because that that really is And when the strength coaches would be like, Hey, this is the best. I'm like, are you really like, this is, this is the best we got. And they're like, yeah, like you can spend all this money on protein shakes and all this, but it's going to be way cheaper and, and better for them to just get some chocolate milk after her. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in. Like we got the little, the, the lunch ones that you saw for school kids. Like that's, we'd give two of them after they got done working out at Western. So like, it was plenty good and, and they liked it too. So like, all right, it worked and it was cheaper. That's amazing. See, Ryan, if only everybody could just listen to you. I try to be open, you know, because I grew up in that culture of of lifting and training as a player. And it helped me and I felt better. I was like, well, if it worked for me, I I think it it helps. So but I was willing to try new things, too. And I, I dive in probably on some fads here and there at times. Just personally, I wouldn't put it out for anybody, but I have been very open to new training methods, new nutrition methods, just to try and experiment because I think we're all trying to, to increase longevity and feel better. And so I am willing to try some new things here and there, but uh, with a disclaimer that I'm not a professional. And that's why I like talking to professionals because I need to get my thinking checked on, on things at times, because I want to make sure that I'm disseminating the right information as well.
1: Oh, God bless you. That's very well said. We we appreciate that. Just like I'm not a doctor and I actually work with a lot of doctors. I respect them. Um, but they've even said to, you know, I had six hours of nutrition training, you know, not the, the decade that dietitians have. Um, you brought up a good point, Ryan. I just want to touch on. So if somebody does want to do a plant-based alternative for their recovery drink, you know, soy protein, the research is consistent, you have to consume about two times um, more to get the same benefits from whey protein, but it's still going to help you grow and build muscle and recover, right? So you can do soy protein. There's also silk, um, that brand, they actually have created a, it has 20 grams of protein. So it's a silk chocolate milk. So a lot of my Plant-based athletes that I work with, they choose that instead of the fair life. Um Right? Doesn't taste as good options.
0: though. I, it does not taste as good. No, I've it does not. <laughs> and I, it does not taste as good.
1: I completely agree with you, 100%. But, but. it's not about what we like, right? It's yes. about what they like, and yeah. I'd rather them do that than yeah do nothing. And yeah. they can mix well, right? With. You know, fruits and vegetables. You throw some spinach. You throw some pineapple in there, um, which also decreases muscle soreness. I mean, the tart cherries. Some of these things that are are great nutritional, you know, tools and strategies to help these kids get more carbohydrates in, to also get in more antioxidants to decrease muscle soreness, facilitate that recovery process. And we're in a pandemic still. I mean, we'll probably always be in one. Um, but helping them with immune health, right? Eating for injury prevention is always, again, my number one priority outside of, you know, eating for game day. Cause we've got to think about that, right? Top of mind is how can we keep these kids healthy and how can we support their fun in the process?
0: What about vitamin D supplement?
1: I love vitamin D. I take it I, every day.
0: I mean, I, I do feel like I eat right, but my daughter has an autoimmune disorder. So she, she takes vitamin D every day, a, a massive dose. Can you, can you take too much vitamin D? I think that's one of the things out there that people have questions about that, that you hear, well, you you can take too much, and then you hear people say, "Well, you can't, you can't take enough." So, I mean, what is it with vitamin D? I, I know with vitamin E and some of those, you probably shouldn't take t- uh, over the recommended daily dose. But with vitamin D, are you okay to take too much? or
1: Context is key. It depends. Full yes. disclaimer. So, I did my master's uh, focus on vitamin D and muscle cell receptor function. So, I spent a lot of time in the the research and science. And what I found was there was actually few reported overdose of vitamin D or vitamin D intoxication. Um, So it's very difficult for people to reach very high levels of vitamin D. Um, Again, very few reported cases. And we're even talking cancer patients that were actually supplementing with 10,000 IUs per day. So we know statistic wise, over two thirds of the world's population is vitamin D deficient. A lot of athletes I work with are not getting in enough vitamin D. And uh, again, it's found in trace amounts in our food. So safe to say, most people would benefit from supplementing with more vitamin D than not. So starting again, asking your doctor, first and foremost, as always, if if, test, don't guess, go get your vitamin D levels tested so that you have that baseline data so that we can say safely here, okay, if you are insufficient, we can supplement with two to 5,000 IUs per day to get those vitamin D levels back in check. But even the athletes, when I was at the university of Florida, again, sunshine, they're, they're outside playing, performing, they're, they're eating quite well, they were still vitamin D deficient. So we were supplementing with 5,000 IUs per day. So people that are at a higher need for more vitamin D are those that are uh, overweight actually, right? Because they have greater needs. Those that don't see the sun, um, autoimmune, concerns, of course, right, a compromised immune system, and also those that have uh, GI distress too. So people really, really need to just understand, again, context is key, but You know, the general population without going and getting tested, if you don't want to, I do recommend testing. You can safely, you know, add in 5000 IUs during the winter months and make sure that you consume it with the fat source because it is fat soluble. Um, You will get a stomach ache if you just try to consume vitamin D without food. Plus, you won't absorb it. So there's no benefits to not eating, you know, peanut butter and egg, avocado, something like that.
0: Quick break for another one of our sponsors, Team Builder. Team Builder is offering both in-season and off-season strength and conditioning programs specific to pitchers or position players. These programs come free with any TeamBuilder free trial. Their software is trusted and used by the best. Team Builder has helped propel many teams to win championships and most recently the World Series Championship Atlanta Braves. Personally, we used TeamBuilder in my last couple of years at Western Illinois. You can get the program once you start a 14-day trial with Team Builder. Use promo code ABCA when you sign up for your free trial at teambuilder.com. That is T-E-A-M-B-U-I-L-D-R.com. Now back to the podcast. Do you have a fail forward moment? Everybody has to answer this question. Do you have something that you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now was one of the best things that happened to you?
1: Oh my word. That's a great question. Fail forward. So I honestly, me failing my RD exam, (laughs) people are shocked to hear that. They're like, what you? Yeah. I could not pass my RD exam. I passed it on the fourth time. And I remember being on one of the first podcasts in 2019. I was talking about it and I was like, it's not a no, it's just a not yet. And I understand that there's something bigger at hand here. I mean, I was projected to not have any issues with that by all my predecessors. And my mentors, they're like, I don't understand, and I said, neither do I. So I spent um, a lot of time in God's Word and a lot of time on my knees praying, and I didn't have the best relationship with God at that time. So for me, that feel forward moment was trusting God and and understanding that I am not in control of my destiny and that He is. So I had to fail that test re- repetitively, uh, missing it by one point every time. And the fourth time that I went in, Ryan, and this is why it's so profound, is that I said, you know what, God if it's your will for me to be a dietitian, to do these things, I, I give it all to you. And I went in and I aced that test and I walked out with a stronger relationship with God. And now it's 2022 and I've never been closer in my faith with him. I've never been as blessed. I've never been as grateful for failing that. And I, it was so dark and challenging, but I have that ability now to share with others that have failed you know, people have to fail to be successful. You wouldn't know the difference between success and failure if you haven't failed. So I don't care who judges me, who says like, Oh, I can't believe that happened to you. I'm so glad that that happened to me because it allowed me to be the dietitian practitioner that I am today.
0: And value the persistence of it. You know, is that where the faith comes into with the persistence of it? Um, and, and I mean, you've said you're a little bit of an atheist before, and then I was an atheist, you know, that (laughs) does that, allow you then to, to make that next step in your faith, where, you know, I think we all have questions at times. I had a very diverse education growing up and then in college. Um, so I've read the Bible, I've read the Quran, I've read the Bhagavad Gita, I've read, I've read so many different uh, religious texts out there just to try to find the common bonds, but I do appreciate people's faith in, in God
1: as well. Thank you for sharing that, Ryan. And, and to your point, yes, actually. So this is biblical, too, that it doesn't matter how hard we work. It doesn't matter how many accolades we acquire, what we achieve, right? It's all glory to God. We wouldn't have any of this without him. But that moment of failing, again, I understood that it doesn't matter how hard I work, how smart I am, what I do. God is in control and he humbled me and he will humble anyone who believes that I'm going to earn this by my own merit. No way. Uh, again, I was destined to have to rely upon God for that moment, just like anything else. Right. Uh, I, I encourage anyone out there listening that please trust in God, you know, life doesn't have to be so difficult. It will always be difficult, but it doesn't have to be as challenging. Right. And God will use your pain for purpose. He used my pain to help me remind myself that I can't be Wendy sufficient. I need to be Jesus Christ sufficient. So I passed that test because of God and his will.
0: Yeah. Thich Nhat Hanh just passed away. He's a Zen master. He's 95 years old, but that's a little bit of a Zen Buddhist thing is that life comes with struggle. You know, it's just that there needs to be an expectation that on your journey, there is going to be struggle. And you just take that as it comes. Like that's just part of being human and being on your path is that you're going to have struggles at times. And I think the more resilient people out there understand that life comes with struggles and that's just what you sign up for as a, as a human, there's going to be struggles. And so just take, take each day as it comes with that piece and just assume that there are going to be some struggles along the way.
1: Well, that's so well said and people like yourself, right? That you have a great platform. You have the ability to have a positive influence on other coaches professionals like yourself, but then athletes and explaining that, Hey, I failed, or I struggled at this. It allows you to be on their level too. Right. So then they understand like, it's okay to fail. It's not okay. Okay. To quit but it's part of the process. I I love what you said. That's, that's very motivating.
0: Well, and you, you came from this, the, the weightlifting bodybuilding culture, which to me was insane. You know, our strength coach at Evansville was in that world. So we did some crazy stuff. So I just talk about like one, how you got into that. And then, I mean, for me, that, that culture is, is crazy with this, the bodybuilding culture. It's crazy.
1: Absolutely. So I was, I played college softball. I love, I just love competing. I love being an athlete. I love lifting. I love training. I just love the discipline, um, that resiliency. My father taught me that at a very young age, and I, I am very competitive. So once I got done with college softball, I was a you know, personal trainer through college And I started being around some of these people in the gym that were older than me, and I wanted to keep up with them. And they're like, well, I'm doing this bodybuilding show. And I'm like, well, that kind of goes against what I'm learning in dietitian school. But hey, you know, I'm not ignorant. I've always prided myself on being open to new concepts and ideas. So I was like, well, I will give this a, you know, the good old college try and signed up and competed in my first show in 2014. And How I trained for that was basically the same mindset, like discipline. And for me, you know, the diet wasn't hard because I loved that. I thrived on that, you know, being. It's like the more ridiculous it was, the more fun it was for people like me, which is like a double-edged sword, right? So doing fish and asparagus, doing nothing but protein and vegetables. I got very, uh, very skinny. I wasn't lean. I didn't have a lot of muscle because I wasn't lifting consistently enough. Uh, Before that I was running a lot. I was doing, you know, I call them junk miles. Um, So I started doing the lifting, you know, after actually the shows, but let me back up. So competed in 2014. Placed fifth, thought it was awesome. Damaged my relationship with food, as in I was scared to eat even sweet potatoes for a time being, and that was you know about a year. And then I thought, well, I might as well do another show. Uh, so competed again in 2015 during my masters, and learned that it just wasn't the same. I didn't enjoy it. I hated it. It was awful, and I had no energy, and I lost my muscle. I was just skinny, and decided that you know what. It's time to uh, rewire my brain. It's time to learn from my mistakes. And I'm going to be a dietitian. I am going to be somebody who you know needs to be a positive influence. It's time to do it the science-based way. So that's where I really got into, you know, the, the data, the data driven practitioner that I am today and understanding that you have to eat protein and carbohydrates in order to build lean mass and also decrease your, your body fat. So again, it's all about calories, but understanding the appropriate calories and the right timing and dosage. So I walked away from that bodybuilding world in 2015 after my second show, cause I didn't place, I didn't have a great time and I just wanted to start lifting and being consistent. So, uh, that carried on and, over the course of, you know, the last five to six years, I do a lot of consistent lifting, Ryan, 20 to 30 minute weightlifting sessions, nothing crazy. Mine too. And yeah, and, and I have more lean mass in a healthier body composition than when I was training for hours. Yep a week you know just destroying my body not not taking good care of it nutritionally so anyone out there again it takes time you have to be consistent another uh flag for the quackery is if some of these coaches out there are promising that you're going to gain 20 pounds of lean mass in eight weeks don't buy into that garbage. It's it's nonsense. Um, it, it takes a lot of time to build lean mass, especially if you're a female. That's where you should be taking creatine. But you have to go a, a, and be very methodical about your approach with anything that you do, and that it takes time. The best things in life that are worth having are earned and they take consistent time. So I, I know you can you know, attribute your success to this too that you made a lot of dumb choices, but you got to learn from them and say, I don't want you know, Johnny to do that, you know, I don't want him to make that mistake. So I'm going to help him and I'm going to guide him, but I would never go back to that world, the bodybuilding world. I don't frown upon it there's a lot of really talented athletes in there. Um, but then there's also a lot of people that are not looking at the long-term effects of their choices and decisions, you know, starving your body, you know, females aren't meant to be such uh, such a low body fat. And I was there, I mean, seven, 8%, that's very lean. Um, but it's not long-term um, success, right? You can't continue to eat that way. And that's the best way to approach any diet is, can I eat this way long-term? Is this sustainable? Because if you, you aren't going into it with a sustainable approach. Your results won't be sustainable. Sorry, that got very candid. Hey, you talked
0: about rewiring your (laughs) brain and Mm -hmm. how, how did you, how did you rewire to, to maybe make some more positive choices than what you were doing?
1: Great question. I believe it's just like having a Christian faith. God, you know, if I continue down this path, is it going to lead to the outcome that I want? And for me, that was a no brainer. Like, of course not. I'm going to go, If I continue down this path, I'm going to be injured, low energy. Professionally, I'm probably not going to excel in the ways I want to. So it it was the best decision to take a step back and say, let's do some research here. Let's evaluate the pros and cons, just like I ask anyone to do that's ready to make a change in their life. What are the pros of continuing on this way? You know, and what are the cons? When people can typically identify, yeah, if I keep eating this way, I'm going to develop diabetes. I'm going to get sick. I'm not going to live very long. It's a no brainer. I've got to make a change, change or die. That's basically the point I was at. And I'm not saying, you know, death physically, but spiritually as well. When you don't feel good every single day and you're exhausted, it is change or die at that point. And sometimes people need that fire under their butt to make that change.
0: Yeah. I I think that's what the better ones do out there is they allow their (laughs) athletes to to have more self-awareness, I know it's very hard to become more self-aware, um, but I think that's where change comes into play. Is when you, when you, when you can self-evaluate. Uh, I think it's a it's a very high-level skill to be able to self-evaluate, and those that can do that. But uh, there's you got to take some steps to get to that self-evaluation process. Also,
1: would you agree, Ryan? That I think for most people, right? Like when they're auditing, you know, is this working well for me? Like measure your success. Like you know if you're not measuring your success it's problem number 1 how are you progressing so i think for a lot of people they don't know what they don't know so until they hit some sort of rock bottom of like i'm not supposed to feel like trash all the time or why is why am i gaining weight when i should be losing weight or why am i not getting stronger you know why am i not getting faster until you hit that point And assess, like, what am I doing and how am I doing it? Is there a better way to do it? And then seeking out, like you said, practitioners, a coach to get better, right? If you want to get better at something, hire a professional that can help you. Yes,
0: definitely. All right. I know you're busy. What are some final thoughts or fill in some gaps on anything that we missed before you hustle off to your next meeting?
1: Eat the rainbow. A colorful plate is a healthy plate. Power up with protein and produce carbohydrates are best consumed around your training sessions Um, drink water wake up and drink water sleep uh, keep your faith in the Lord right now I can't say that enough you know we can work on all these really amazing goals health wellness performance but someday we're all going to go to heaven and that's going to be really amazing so be prepared God's coming and I, I really can't wait for that day Thank you for having me, Ryan. It's been so fun speaking yes, with you. Yes, this is, went,
0: went too fast, went way too fast. We'll have to, oh, we'll have to yes, retouch uh, on another time here. We'll have to have you back. So Wendy, I really appreciate it. It's awesome.
1: Thank you, Ryan. You have a blessed day and take good care.
0: I appreciate all that Wendy's trying to do in the nutrition space. There's so many myths out there about how to handle nutrition and supplementation. So it was great to get someone on who was fighting the good fight in that space. She's done a tremendous job in that field, and she's always trying to push it forward. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach and Matt West, in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, abca.org, Twitter and TikTok at coachb underscore ABCA, Instagram at Brownlee 17 or direct message me via the MyBC app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.